You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Are you ready to launch a new sermon series today? Me too, but I forgot one more announcement, so sit tight. Uh, August 21st is Back to School Sunday. August 21st, and again, we want to encourage you, bring your students, whether they're teens, elementary, whatever it may be, bring them to the special service so that we can pray over students before they start the new school year. And we're asking students to bring their backpacks so that we can pray over their backpacks as well. All right, now are you ready to start a new sermon series today, church? Amen. Hey, this morning we're going through the fivefold ministry gifts given to the church. That's fivefold ministry gifts given to the church. Often it just stops at fivefold ministry. And something that I've noticed um, primarily from my generation is I'm a part of the millennial generation. And I know I, you're just overwhelmed with so many like positive comments that you could say about the millennial generation right now, right? Awesome. So anyways, my generation, the millennial generation, one of the things that um, seems to have happened with the fivefold ministry is it has really been taken and manipulated for Christian entrepreneurship. And uh, today we're just not going in that direction. With the fivefold ministry gifts, Jesus so specifically said these are gifts given to the church. Who's the church? We We are. And so they're not for the sake of making a name for ourselves, again, through this kind of Christian entrepreneurship mentality, but these gifts are for the purpose of making His name famous. Amen? Amen. And as we discuss this topic, we're also going to be covering how the Holy Spirit fits into the fivefold ministry gifts, because how many of you would recognize that the Holy Spirit plays a vital role in any gifts given to the church? Amen. And so we're also going to be covering the topic for the next couple of weeks, how the Holy Spirit relates to the fivefold ministry uh, gifts. And if you've attended here for a few weeks or if you're new with us, let me just cover something that you might hear often out of our church. I feel like this might as well be one of our... Um, our core values as a church, it's a, a statement that I hear repeated in our worship services and our prayer services. Pretty much every ministry, I've heard this either exact phrase or a phrasing um, of it, but we are not about religion, we are about relationship. Amen. We're not about religion, we're about relationship. It's one of our talking points as a church. Let me, let me explain for a moment where you, you might be saying, but pastor, aren't we, you know, in supportive of religion? Anytime somebody says, okay, you're a pastor, you're very religious, I, I give grace, absolutely. But in my mind, all I can hear shouting is I am not about religion because religion focuses on church attendance. Religion, religion uh, focuses on outward appearance and going through the motions, but relationship is so far different. Relationship is when I say, I I don't have to go to church, I get to go to church. I don't have to pray to the Lord, I get to pray to the Lord. I don't have to, are you hearing me this morning, church? I don't have to interact with the Holy Spirit, I get to interact with the Holy Spirit. There's a relational component to this thing that we call faith, amen? And relationship is what takes a dead religion and makes it alive into a real experience that then turns into a lifestyle because I firmly believe, wholeheartedly believe, that God has so much more in store for us than to keep the church seats warm, die, and go to heaven. There is so much more that he has for us. And when we start talking about 
the more, quote unquote, the more, what we're talking about is a relationship with Jesus and what that looks like in our day-to-day lives. And the reality, the sad reality, is that there is an astonishing amount of churches in our nation, in our world, that when I talk about this, the difference between religion and relationship, they have no idea what I'm talking about. No idea. The church in the West seems to be increasingly lethargic, unmoved. There's no goal in mind. There's no vision to shake the world. It's simply attend church, go through religion, and move on with the day. There's no conviction or motivation within the church because, after all, whenever you cut the third person of the Trinity out of the church, his primary responsibility is convicting. And when we cut him out of the church, we shouldn't be surprised when we aren't seeing lives turn and lives change because they're compelled through conviction. Is this making sense this morning? The church in the West continues to try and win people, though, win people to God through clever TED Talks and motivational speeches and gimmicks rather than preaching the message of Jesus Christ and letting him move. And the irony is that is the church in the West continues to go through the motions of religion. We're somehow shocked and astonished whenever addictions aren't being broken, marriages restored, lives healed, lives saved, lives touched, and we act like we're shocked whenever we're just kind of going through the motions. When I was a youth pastor, I had a few atheists in my youth ministry. Love these kids. I want you to hear what I just said. Atheists attending church, the youth ministry. And I would ask him, I'm like, hey, just a quick question. Why do you come? And I remember the one student, he's looking and he goes, you know, I really haven't thought about it. <laughs> I said, let's do lunch. <laughs> Let, let's do lunch sometime. So we go out to lunch and he's sitting across the table from me and he's like, you know, religion drives me nuts. I hate religion. He said, I hate religion. I, I hate that there's people who go to church and they sit in the seats and that somehow makes them better than everyone else. I hate religion and what it does to people. And his, his face of shock cracks me up because I don't think he's expecting me to look and go, you know what? Me too. And he's looking at me and I had the opportunity to explain the difference between religion and relationship. The sad reality is that there's many churches in our nation and in our world that are comfortable with religion, and they never experience the power of the cross. They never experience the power that we have in Christ. And the irony is this, yet spiritual hunger runs rampant through our culture. People are searching. Watch the news for two minutes And I promise you that you will see people searching. In order to keep up with where our culture is with entertainment and different things, I I typically look up the top 10 most watched, you know, uh, uh, Netflix series, whatever it may be, and I look up and see what are the top 10 songs being played right now. And as I look through the list, I can't help but come to the conclusion that people are searching that I hear it in lyrics to songs, somebody who's desperate and crying out. Our culture is searching. My question is, how we respond to the topic that we're going to be discussing today will determine whether the church chooses to respond or the church chooses to stay comfortable in the seats of the church. And I believe, given the growth and everything that's happened through our church, I believe that we are the kind of uh, Christians and believers that say, I'm not content remaining in these four walls. 
Amen, church? If you believe it, we you give them a shout of praise? And in spite of a lethargic church in the West, I'm fully convinced that for such a time as this, that Jesus wants to restore health, vitality, and authority to, to his church here and now before his return. And the restoring process starts now. Everybody say now. Here at C3 in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. So how does Jesus restore health, vitality, and authority to the church? He gives us gifts. We're going to be turning to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. I'm getting a little bit of feedback in my mic, if we can work on that. Thank you. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13 is where we're going to be spending a majority of our time here together uh, today. But before we get there, before we get there, whenever we talk about gifts that, that Jesus has given the church, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like if you're working on a construction project. How many of you have ever been, you know, uh, just in the midst of a construction project and it keeps going on and on and you recognize that like there's way more here than what I realized? Anybody? Yeah? Any Ikea furniture builders out there? Okay. And so in order to complete a job, it's common sense that you need tools. You need, if you're a female instructions, guys, we just throw those away and then complain about the project taking forever. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Wives are pointing at their husband. Okay. But you need tools in order to accomplish the job. And so it is with the church that God is doing something. He's constructing something here. And the church, in order to be built up, is going to need tools. So what are those tools? And we're going to talk about, we're going to go over real quickly five of them today, and we're going to focus on one. He gives, the, he gives us tools, or as we're calling today, gifts. Everybody say gift. Yes. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7 through 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives, and here it is, he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave, here's the gifts that we're talking about, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Hit the pause button. Notice how this verse assumes that we are going to be serving. I don't know of very many scriptures, if any at all, that say, maybe if the church serves. Scripture has this assumption that you and I are already going to be serving. And that is one of the reasons why I am so passionate about volunteering at church and serving the body of Christ. Because I know that my life, I would not be here today standing on this platform had I not volunteered during my teenage years and through young adult years in the church. Had I not signed up to go and clean windows at the church when I was a kid, I would have never been put in these environments where I saw godly men working next to me and I saw what healthy, godly, biblical masculinity looks like. I would not be here today had I not been able to go on a mission trip when I was 12 years old to San Luis, Mexico that forever changed my perspective on missions and reaching the lost and going into third world countries. Serving is assumed of us. 
And it is a beautiful return, as I discussed last week with somebody from church, just how crazy it is that you and I set out to bless others, and we somehow come back blessed. I've never come back from a missions trip empty. Whether it's inner city, local, overseas, I've never come back. Yeah, tired. (laughs) But I've never come back empty emotionally, spiritually, little physically tired, but it wears off. But on the contrary, I come back so full, having met with God and being used by God. And isn't that just his goodness? How you set out to do something for him, for others, to bless others, to put, and somehow you come back knowing that he's used you and having that full feeling. Amen. Back to verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up until we reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but help us to move into action with a heart full of obedience to be doers of the word, because we recognize this morning that you may be calling some of us to be these gifts to the body of Christ. That here today, sitting in this sanctuary, you very well may have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And if that is us, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us your plans, your will, as your word is preached. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said? So the five gifts of the church, the five-fold ministry, the five-fold gifts are these five positions, these five things, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And the reality is, is I believe that there are those here today where you are one of these gifts to the body, and you just have yet to discover that that's you, that God has stirred things up in your life, and maybe there's different passions that you have and different things that are a part of your personality. It's who you are, and you have yet to realize that God has made you who you are because you're one of these gifts. And the reality is, is that the church needs these gifts. Amen? The church needs these gifts for the sake of being built up. Why call these five things gifts? Because you'll notice in verse 7, Paul specifically says that they're gifts. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and he gave to his people gifts. And Paul continues after that saying, Christ himself gave, and then goes through the five gifts given to the church. Who's the church? We are. For the next few weeks, we're going to be discussing these five gifts. And as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit's role in each and every one of these five gifts. Jesus has given us gifts, and each of these gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can I hear a good amen? amen? And the Holy Spirit brings validity to everything that we do in Jesus' name. It's what the Holy Spirit, it's what he's good at. It's what he does. He adds validity to the ministry that you and I are going out and doing in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. We're focusing today, though, on the gift. We're going to focus on these one at a time each week. We're going to focus today on the gift of evangelism. Would you say that with me? Evangelism. We're focusing on this gift today because I believe that this is the next gift that God wants to give Crossroads Community Church. I believe that this is the next season that God is going to be calling our church into and activating and living out of these gifts, specifically evangelism. 
Pastor, what makes you say that this is the next gift that we're going to see given to Crossroads Community Church? Have you been at church the past couple months? Have you seen what all God is doing? Come on, somebody. I mean, this morning, I, I'm, I'm just sitting here reflecting on um, Kylie and I, our, our th- third three-year anniversary of, of being lead pastors here is, is coming up towards the end of this month. And so I get a little sentimental. Stop it. <laughs> and just pulling into the parking lot this morning and having an expectation that we're going to have two services that are already at 80% capacity. Lord, we need a building bigger. But that we're going to be in two services that are at 80% capacity. I had this expectation that God is going to move, that God is going to speak, and He already has this morning. Had this expectation that the Holy Spirit's going to move, and you might be saying, Pastor, why did you have that expectation? Because He's been doing it for three years now. And three years ago, I remember as, as our worship leader, Mike, pointed out this morning in prayer, he said, you know, Lord, we're standing on um, the prayers that we prayed three years ago. And three years ago, we were a church of 80. And now, in the matter in less than three years and more of two years, we are now averaging between 240 and 260. And we're seeing people come to know Jesus on a weekly basis. And please... understand that when I talk about numbers, it's not just about the numbers. It's the fact that every number represents a life and every life represents an eternity. And that's why we celebrate. It's not because we puff up our chest and go, look at us. No, no, no. It's the complete opposite. It's look what God did. Look what he's doing. And I see God moving in all of these different areas of ministry. And I can't help but notice that God is filling up his church. Anytime that God fills up his church, it's because he's getting ready to send us out. In Acts chapter 2, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They encounter the Holy Spirit in the upper room. And what happens? They're filled up. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then what happens? They're sent out. And that's the pattern of the Holy Spirit. That's the pattern of the New Testament is God fills up and sends out. We see Paul, he comes to know Jesus. He's radically saved. And then I believe it's somewhere in Acts chapter 9 where he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then what happens? He's sent out. And any time that God fills, he sends. And I just see this filling up that is happening. And again, I'm not just talking about numbers. I mean, spiritually, there's this hunger that's here. He's preparing us as a church for more of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And all these things tell me that anytime there's a movement of God, it's for a purpose bigger than ourselves. It's not so that we can get spiritually fat and die happy. It's so that we can get filled up and then sent out. That's why I believe that this gift out of Ephesians chapter 4 is a gift that God is getting ready to release in Crossroads Community Church because all the other signs are pointing in this direction. Is this making sense this morning? And often when we talk about evangelism, what do we picture? We picture popular evangelists like Billy Sunday, John Whitefield, Charles Spurgeon, or recently in my generation that has had an impact on my generation or generations before, Billy Graham. 
especially in the 2000s, we picture packed out stadiums with thousands and thousands of people coming to know Jesus and TV programs that are streaming the services and the moves of God. And that's all great. And that's all awesome. And that is a context of evangelism. But please hear me, church. That's not the only context. Amen? Evangelism is actually bigger than that and more simple. Allow me to elaborate. First, let's talk about what, what is the meaning? What, do, what, does, what does evangelism even mean? Evangelism is sharing the whole gospel message of Jesus Christ. That's all it is. It's sharing Jesus. We live in a day and age, and the reason why I say the whole gospel is because we live in a day and age where it's popular to give part of the gospel. It's normal to give a piece of the gospel. For example, the church, we tend to shy away from ever acknowledging and discussing the reality that when you and I give our lives to Jesus, that we are commanded to be obedient to Him. It's normal for us to neglect this side of the gospel message that says, yeah, Jesus demands our obedience, but we also neglect the area that following Jesus, it costs you. It's a free gift. He's a free gift given to us, but he came at a cost. Amen? So let's acknowledge that for a moment, but also it's going to cost you. For some of you, it's going to cost you relationships. For some, as we've seen over the past couple years, it costs them their jobs. I mean, just a few months ago, we were seeing a coach who was fired from a school for praying on the field, even though it was after the game and everything that had to do with it being a school event was over, meaning it was a private event, and he's fired. And we see that following Jesus costs you, but it is so worth it. And I'm convinced, though, that the incomplete gospel has become so popular in our nation that if you and I, if we were to put different people on trial for giving the incomplete gospel, that they would be sued for false advertising making promises that Jesus never promised. Follow Jesus, you'll be blessed. And we translate that to my bank account will be full. Hallelujah, I receive it. Really, it's just a blessing to be his hands and feet. Where money doesn't matter anymore because he's the most important thing. Where nothing else can fill you or satisfy you like he can. And to be in a state of fullness, no matter how bad the world gets, you can't put a price tag on that. And that was just my introduction. We'll be here till two. (laughs) Following Jesus costs something, but I'm telling you what you get on return and investment is far greater than what you could ever imagine. It's as easy as you and I laying down what we were never meant to become and receiving what we were always meant to become. It's, as e- it's an easy exchange. You see, the problem is when you and I, when we're trapped in us and our ways, our ways are the issue. So doesn't it just make sense that we would have to, it would cost us, we would have to give up our ways and embrace his ways, which are far better? Is that not the heart of the gospel? That's why we say evangelism is giving, preaching, speaking, the whole gospel. Believing in Jesus means that you and I will follow him as well. 
Two beautiful examples of well-rounded biblical gospel messages are the two, I would believe, they're arguably the two most famous Bible verses. First is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the heart of the gospel. As a matter of fact, parents, if there's any one scripture that you should really be focusing on, your kids knowing, it's John 3.16. We're in this fun season right now where um, my wife and I, uh, we kind of split the bedtime responsibilities between my two little girls, and um, I, I am not mature enough for that responsibility. <laughs> you see, my wife, she does a great job at calming the kids down getting bedtime real nice and relaxed, their jammies are on, everybody's cozy, and then I come up. And I come up and the girls know. You see, they get me into trouble because I come up and they're like, Dad, bam, smack me on the arm, tag, you're it. And I'm like, oh, it's on. And so that whole calm demeanor that we once had, it's thrown out the window. Next thing you know, I have these two beautiful little redheads running up to me going, throw me on the bed, throw me. Now I'm launching gingers through the air onto the bed. And what was once a calm household is, oh, it's a pepper alley now. And so I get them all wound up, and then we have to calm them down again. And we, we come to the place where our nighttime routine is we always go through Scripture after scripture, we go through our time of prayer, and after our time of prayer, we typically go through um, our Bible verses, and I'm so proud. My daughter, Cadence, five years old, now has over uh, 35 Bible verses memorized, but the one that we always come back to is John 3.16. She asked me one night, Dad, why John 3.16? And I said, honey, it is the summary of what this entire book is about. In John 3.16, it is the Old Testament and New Testament. It is the bridge between both that explains what we've come from in the Old Testament and what we now have in the New Testament. John 3.16 is our foundation for what a gospel message looks like because it deals with sin. It deals with the sacrifice of the Son of God. Theologically, it is so rich and the second Bible verse that I believe that should be our go-to for what a gospel message looks like is John 14, chapter 23 through 24. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Somebody say amen or ouch. My father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And just like we discussed how the Holy Spirit plays a vital role, he plays a vital role in all of this. Jesus goes on to prove that point to be true. John 14, verses 25 through 26, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said. So here we have the command. Jesus says, I want you to obey me. And I can only imagine that in the disciples' minds, all that you could hear, if you could hear what's going on in their mind is, ah, how are we supposed to do that? Because Jesus made it clear that it's not just enough to go through the motions, but if it happens in your mind and in your heart that you've already committed that sin, how am I supposed to ever uphold that standard? 
And then Jesus gives these comforting words. I'm going to send a helper who's going to empower you and help you to do the very thing that I've just commanded. Obey my teachings. The Holy Spirit plays a vital role in all of these gifts and the commands of Jesus. Evangelism, I want to talk just for a moment on what evangelism is not. Evangelism is not trying to get someone to think like you do. Evangelism is not trying to win somebody to a political party. You've heard me preach before, if you've attended here for a while, that Christians, we do have a responsibility in the political realm. We're not called to to stay absent from it. But please understand that it is also not our focus, that our focus is leading people to Jesus, not the Republican Party. Evangelism is not merely behavioral modification either. So often our focus is taken off of evangelism, leading people to Jesus, because we're so focused on if I can just get you to act good. And while I understand that we need morality, we need laws that uphold morality, I acknowledge that. But church, I want to ask the question that tomorrow if we were to turn on the news and see that all of the moral and societal issues in our nation have been solved, everyone's on the same page, everyone is acting and speaking and saying things that that are pretty good, would we still see it necessary to lead them to Jesus? Would we still recognize that just because that person is a quote-unquote good person, which has no definition without the Word of God, but we'll come back to that another day. Just because that person is a good person, do we still recognize that they need Jesus? That their eternity is still at hand? Evangelism is not just getting bad people to act good. Evangelism is leading people to Jesus and letting Him do the turning around. Richard C. Halverson, chaplain of the United States Senate for more than a decade, said this, evangelism is not salesmanship. It is not urging people, pressuring them, coercing them, or overwhelming them, or subduing them. Evangelism is telling a message. Evangelism is reporting the good news. Evangelism is simply telling people about Jesus. Amen, church? And the most beautiful thing happens that as you and I speak the message, as you and I speak the gospel of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into the conversation and He bears the burden of convicting. You and I don't have to be the Holy Spirit. Can I hear a good amen this morning? What a stinking relief that is. The Holy Spirit, He's the one that while you and I are talking, we can't see Him at work in people's hearts, but He's the one who's not only, and it's amazing, He's at work on both sides of the conversation. He's at work in their heart, softening their heart, I mean, leading them in His way, revealing truth, and then He's on the other side of the conversation, giving us the words to speak to them. Is that not beautiful? And what a relief. That in the process of somebody receiving salvation, you and I, all we have to do is say, yes, follow what He's telling us, and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Jesus pointed out to the disciples that the Holy Spirit convicts in John 16, verse 8 through 9. He says, when He comes, meaning the Holy Spirit, He will prove the world to be and the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment 
about sin because people do not believe in me. And we see this promise, an example of this fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, where the, the New Testament, the birth of the New Testament church and the disciples are they're up in the upper room. They receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? Peter ends up going out into the streets and evangelizing. He goes out and begins to preach and teach the word. And what is the response of the people? They go from mocking the movement to becoming a part of the movement. And what happens in that moment, listen to the words, when the people heard, here it is, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the others, brothers, what shall we do? In that moment, the Holy Spirit began to convict through the preaching of God's word. They went from mocking to seeking. The reality is also this, some people will be offended by the gospel message. And that's shocking. And you might be left wondering, like, God, what did I do? I, I preached it in love. For once in my life, my temper was fine. I spoke in love and grace. And you might be thinking, like, I, I also... Like, I gave a really good biblical word. Like, I felt the Holy Spirit, like, give me that. God, why are they offended? The reality is, is they might not just, they might not be offended at you. They're just offended by the Holy Spirit. Because they felt that conviction. And conviction doesn't always feel good. (laughs) And the only response that they knew what to do in that moment was to be offended. Because in our nation, we've gotten so good at it. And so I want to encourage you, in those moments, evaluate yourself. Did I speak in truth and love? Absolutely, evaluate your actions and your words. But if you come to the conclusion through prayer that, Pastor, I felt like I did everything how God wanted me to and they were still offended, then don't bear that burden. Leave it in God's hands because you might not be somebody who reaps the harvest. You might be somebody who's sowing a seed. And God is the God of the harvest, and he'll take care of it. You just do what he tells you to. And I also want to encourage you that not everyone is going to receive what you say, but some will. Those friends, those family members that you've been praying for, some will. They'll receive the gospel message, and they'll never be the same. And there's nothing like it. I can tell you from personal experience, I'll never forget as a young boy, an uncle in my family ends up getting saved at my dad's church. He was a pastor, and, 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 and they end up getting saved at the, in my dad's church. And I remember our family reunions. It impacted our family reunions because this uncle was the host of the family reunions. And family reunions, I remember showing up, and there were a lot of coolers, if you know what I mean. And I remember, like, it was just normal for everyone to be drinking and have drinks, and they're just going, and that was just kind of the atmosphere. It was like an extension of a bar. But then my uncle got saved. And I remember showing up to the family reunion, and the whole atmosphere was different. There were no coolers. And everyone was sober. And they were asking questions to my uncle, why the changes? And I saw my uncle telling them about what Jesus did in his life. Not everyone will receive, but some will. Speak truth in love.
Amen, church? The point is this. Let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. It's what he's good at. Let the Holy Spirit convict. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in that conversation. Let him do the heavy lifting. Let's make sure that we're not trying to guilt and shame people to the cross. Lead them to the cross and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work. Amen? Evangelism is also, it's outward focused. We think in terms of evangelism as in let's host a a church service as evangelism night or rent out a stadium. And again, that is one context. I'm not saying that that's bad. We've, We've done that before. And I feel like every Sunday is evangelism Sunday here, right? Like just incredible. Like that's not, that's not a bad thing. That is one context of evangelism, but that's not the only context for evangelism. Evangelism is outward focused and it's intimate. For example, God, if you have, if you have these passions, God wants to use those passions in your life for evangelism, to reach people. For example, do we have any hunters in the room? You, the hunters were loud in both services. I, what about car, car people? You're into just engines, high octane. I'm waiting to hear my digital media guy. Tell you what. what kind of passions and hobbies has God given you? Let's make this a little interactive. Shout them out. Baking. Baking. Oh, I'm coming over. Goats. Far, far. Only in our church. Sign language. Painting. What else? What passions, hobbies has God given you? Music. Shooting. Yeah, I'm coming over too. Dancing. RVing. Golf. God wants to use these passions that he's given you for evangelism. Take somebody golfing with you. Have people over to help you feed the goats. But every single one of these passions, you know, in first service, I had to laugh because somebody in the back said, pot. And I said, can you clarify? They said, pottery. It's <laughs> about to preach an entirely different sermon. But these gifts that, that these passions that God has given you, these are methods. These are contexts for evangelism. You like to hunt? Invite some friends who don't know Jesus to go hunting. There's nothing like a prayer service in the duck blind. And I'm telling you, these, all of these things that God has given you, just give them back to Him. Evangelism, we've made it so complicated. Well, pastor, I have to give a six-point message. That's my job, first off. Pastor, I have to give a six-point message. I have to go and hand out, you know, different books on the streets and all of these. And we've made this so complicated. And again, those are some context for evangelism. And I'm not putting those down, but those aren't the only ones. One of the most successful ones that I've experienced is just kind of like whenever Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to your house. Whatever your passions are, whatever your hobbies are, give those back to Jesus and allow him to use them for evangelism. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said, 
Go to them. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So church, let's go. Wherever your hobbies, your passions lead you, bring people along with you. Minister to them. Love them. Worship team, would you come? We have this mental picture that evangelism is hosting a big church service. And again, that's one small context of what evangelism looks like, but really what it looks like is in the homes of believers. If we hope to be successful in evangelism, we must stop thinking in terms of witnessing from this stage and start thinking in terms of witnessing in the everyday. So let's do a quick recap before we close. Jesus promised gifts to the church that build a foundation of the church. One of the gifts that Jesus gave the church is the gift of evangelism. Evangelism is sharing the whole gospel, the whole gospel message of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit plays a vital role in evangelism. Let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. Evangelism is always outward focused, outside of these four walls. Amen? Lastly, if you're here this morning and you say, how do I know if I have the gift of evangelism? Let me be clear on something. We are all called to be a witness. We're all called to be in the gift, in the realm of evangelism to some degree. But there are some here today where evangelism is truly a gift. And what that means is you have the ability to teach others about this gift. You have the ability to bring up others who are less experienced in this area of evangelism and teach them an effective and biblical way to evangelize. So let me list out some qualities that maybe is a part of who you are that Lord willing will give you that light bulb moment where as we lift out these qualities, as we list out these qualities that evangelists tend to have, that you would say, that's me. You just described something that I do, a way about me. And hopefully that will spark something. People called out by God and anointed to lead in evangelism tend to have a deep compassion for people regardless of age, outward appearance, cultural background, or sin propensity just doesn't matter to you that your love isn't given to one class of people, but to people in general. That you have a compassion for people, that when you hear something about, you know, uh, an individual who has a need in their life, that there's something inside of you that wants to reach that person, which relates to the second tendency that those who are gifted with evangelism might have, and that's their concern with individuals and their personal needs. Like you genuinely love people. Like when you hear about, you know, there being a need, a homeless ministry opportunity, there's a spark of interest. When you hear about the horrible tragedy of trafficking and you have this passion to get girls out of that and reach, like you have to recognize that not everybody has that spark. When you hear about broken children needing loving homes and there's something inside of you that says, I want to be a part of that somebody who tends to have a gift of evangelism. Those who have the gift of evangelism, they tend to enjoy connecting with people. It's not a bother to be in the context of, you know, I'm going to be around new people that I'm unfamiliar with. It really doesn't shake you. You're actually kind of excited because you're insane. (laughs) But you hear about opportunities to meet new people and there's something inside of you that says, awesome. Let's do this. 
This is one of my favorites. People who have the gift of evangelism tend to move in the gift of hospitality. You have people over. Maybe it's common for you to have people over once a week around your dinner table. You enjoy serving others. You enjoy getting to know others, again, around your dinner table. Man, that's a gift. And it's needed now more than ever. Another quality of somebody who has the gift of evangelism, speaking about your relationship with Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ is comfortable for you. That it's natural for you. You're kind of like the apostles whenever they went before the Sanhedrin and they said, we can't not preach. It just comes out of us. It's who we are. And maybe that defines you. Like you're like, you're comfortable in talking about Jesus. You know, not everyone is like that. Where to just talk about how you met with the Lord this morning in your devotional time, it, it doesn't scare you to bring that up to other people. You're actually kind of proud. You're actually kind of looking for the opportunity to bring up something about Jesus. John Maxwell, an incredible leader, he says this at different meetings that he has with CEOs. He says, now, I want, you to, I want you to answer this. Is there anything that you wish I would have asked you? They go around the table, anything that you wish I would have asked you. And they look at you and they say, John, what about you? And he says, I wish you would have asked me about Jesus. I wish you would ask me about my relationship with him. And he has the opportunity to reach major corporation CEO for Jesus through that one simple question. Are you somebody who doesn't mind talking about Jesus? What can we do to grow in the gift of evangelism? Because all of us are called to be witnesses. Amen, church? Number one, and this shouldn't surprise us, get into the word of God. The word of, the word of God, it's how he leads us, speaks us. When we begin to live his word out, it becomes that much more alive in our lives. Friend, if you're looking to try and discover what gifts God has given to you for his purpose, and you're doing it without intimate time in the word of God, you're not gonna find the answers. Number two, prayer. Nothing happens without prayer. As it was spoken again by our worship leader, Mike, this morning as we prayed before this service, he said, we're sitting on three-year-old prayers. Three years ago, we prayed for these things to come to pass. What you and I are experiencing today is the result of believers three-plus years ago praying for such a time as this. Nothing happens without prayer. What can we do to grow in the gift of evangelism? Get to know the Holy Spirit and follow his promptings. Follow his leading. When you're sitting at home on your couch and you're relaxed and all of a sudden out of nowhere, like you were focused on, hmm, I wonder what's for dinner tonight. And all of a sudden a person comes into your mind. I want to challenge you to lean into that, listen to that feeling, because I believe that that's of the Holy Spirit compelling us to either reach out to that person or pray for them or do both. I've heard too many stories of people who were literally about to commit suicide and somebody in that moment felt a prompting and it wasn't by coincidence because there's no mathematical equation that could ever explain something like this. Their phone starts ringing and it's another Christian who says, I just want you to know the Lord put you on my heart. Follow those promptings. 
When you're in the workplace and somebody is talking about something that is against the word of God, it is against God, and they ask you about your opinion, don't shy away from it. Give them a biblical perspective because you never know what the Holy Spirit is doing in their life. Maybe that's the moment that their heart is fertile ground. And all you have to do is speak what he's prompting you to speak. It's those moments. And lastly, would you stand with me? The last step in growing in the gift of evangelism, take risks, formerly known as walking by faith. Take risks. When you start feeling those promptings, it's risky. Could be wrong. But you could also be right. And to miss the opportunity, if you could be right, comes at a high, much higher cost than if you were simply wrong. Take risks. We're living in a day and age where the church that takes risks, I believe that's going to be the church that ushers in revival, that God is going to use to spark the fire of revival in our nation. Church, I don't know about you, but I grew up as an adrenaline junkie. I love taking risks. Will you join me? Can we take risks together? And can we also give grace to one another for when we are wrong? If I did misinterpret this, can we extend grace? Say, hey, it's okay. Don't let it embarrass you. Don't shy away. Keep taking risks. Keep getting more and more familiar with what the Holy Spirit is leading you to say, you to do, leading you to certain people, whatever it may be. Fred, take risk. Take risks. Would you bow your heads with me? And I want to ask this morning, without anybody looking around, is there anyone here this morning that you say, Pastor, this all sounds great. And what you've talked about with relationship with the Lord, man, that, that sounds awesome, but I've never invited Christ in my life. Or maybe there was a time in your life where you did invite Christ in your heart, but now you know full well that you've drifted, not following him any longer. And you say, Pastor, I, I want what you're talking about. I want that real relationship. I want that experience. I don't want dead religion. I want an alive relationship with Jesus. I want to experience everything the Word of God has talked about today. I want to be that. If that's you here this morning, without anybody looking around, would you just slip a hand up and put it right back down? I see your hand. You can put it down. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. You can put it down. I see your hand. You can put it down. Is there anybody else? Can we give it up for those who just took a risk? Without anybody looking around, is there anybody else? Friend, life is too short to live in regret. We are for you. This church is for you. The kingdom of God is for you. Don't be afraid to take the risk. It's risky putting that hand up, but the return on investment is unlike anything you've ever imagined. Waiting just another moment. Is there anybody else? You say, I, I, I here, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to follow him. Okay, here's what I'm going to ask. If you lifted your hand without anybody looking around, if you were one of the ones who raised your hands, would you just make eye contact with me just for a moment? We're so excited for this adventure that God is leading you on. And in the next couple moments, um, 
I'm going to be leading us in a prayer, and I'm going to ask you to repeat it after me, but I want us to understand something. There's nothing powerful about the words that I'm speaking. Where the power comes from is your heart's intent. If you truly mean to give your heart to Christ, to live for Him from this moment, to turn away from the you lifestyle and pursue the Him lifestyle, that's what matters. So if you mess up some of the words or you, you, know, you didn't get the statement right, can I, can I just relieve some of the burden? It's all good. You can mess the words up a little bit. Okay, you can mess them up. But as long as your heart means to do business with God, that's what matters. You can bow your heads. And church, rest of the church, would you join me as we just make sure nobody's left out with this, but let's do this. And you say, dear Jesus, would you come into my heart? Make me new. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to walk in your ways and not my ways. Help me to live for you. I give you my life. I recognize you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give it up for those who've given their hearts to Christ? Amen, amen, amen. For those of you who raise your hands, I also just want to throw this out there. There is a vitally important class that we offer here on Wednesdays called our New Believers class. It's an opportunity for us to discuss, like, what does the new life really look like? It also is an opportunity for us to connect in the body because there's no such thing as lone wolf Christianity. Amen, church? We're called to be a part of a body of Christ. And if you're here today and you're visiting and you gave, you know, your life to Christ and you say, you know, but I'm from somewhere else, can I challenge you, when you go back to where you're from, your home, get plugged in to a biblical church. But for now, we offer this class and I would challenge you to get plugged in here one more time. I know we've gone over. Is that okay if we've gone a little bit over time? It was rhetorical, but thank you. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Thank you. Would you bow your heads once more? And here's what I want to ask. If you were here today and you say, Pastor, some of the things that you talked about in regards to evangelism, like, I feel that. Some of those things are me. I, I, I love people. I want to reach people. I feel like some of those gifts that you talked about, like God has given me, we just want to pray over you. So without anybody looking around, if you feel like God is calling you to operate in the gift of evangelism, would you raise your hand? Would you lift it up high? Hands going up all over. Awesome. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray over each and every raised hand that in the days to come that their, their tables, their dinner tables would be full. God, that their homes would be full, that the hobbies and passions that you've given them would become ministries unto themselves, Lord Jesus, that you would remind them whenever it comes time to speak the word of God, that they're not doing it according to their own words. They're doing it according to your word. And all they have to do is speak your word. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit gives us the words to speak and the empowerment to say them. And Lord, we just invite the Holy Spirit here and now into our hearts, into our lives in a greater propensity. Would you lead us and guide us in these conversations that are of an evangelistic nature, help us to reach the lost. And Lord, again, I pray a special anointing on every hand that is raised here today, that there would be evangelists sent out into the world from this house. There'd be evangelists who come back with testimonies of lives forever changed simply because all we had to do was say, yes, Lord. So would you lead us and guide us? Now, God, I pray that as we close this service today and leave this place until we meet again, would you watch over us, protect us, lead us, guide us, mold us, shape us, and if necessary, break us of the tendencies that are of us so that we can be led by you that much more. 
Give us the words to speak and help us to be a light to a dark world around us. In Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, would you just give him some praise for what he's done? Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. If we don't see you this Wednesday at the worship and baptism night, we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. You go with the Lord. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.